Hey, let's give it up for that video. Isn't that good? Right on. Hey, if you don't mind, can you keep those clappers going from everybody who's watching later this week online? Let's just welcome you in, too. Way to go. Hey, my name is Tony, and I'm one of the pastors on staff, and I am thrilled. I really am thrilled that you're here today. Way to go for being here. And happy Mother's Day. Hopefully that was fun, and I uh, really hope that today's message, the whole service is just kind of a blessing to each and every one of you in the room. Uh, real quick time out on this. I know that Mother's Day is really a big high for a lot of women, uh, but even there's some that it's not. Uh, maybe you're here and you've just recently lost your mother and it's a tough day today or lost somebody close to you or maybe um, you can't be a mom, you know, with your own actual children. And that's been hard for you and I just want to acknowledge that, that that's a tough spot and just want to let you know in this place and really God loves you. I know don't mean that to be corny by any mean, but God deep and desperately loves you and cares so much about each and every one of you. Uh, anyways, uh, happy Mother's Day. Uh, we are in the fourth week of a series called uh, The Pursuit of Happiness, and we've been having an absolute blast working our way through the book of Philippians. It's the short book of the Bible in the New Testament. A guy named Paul wrote it from a prison cell, and we've just been having a ton of fun, and we've been looking at this idea that all of us are really on this hunt uh, for happiness, and what's the problem with happiness is that it's temporary. It kind of ebbs and flows. It goes and it comes just as quick as it comes to us. I mean, all of us want to be happy. That's not any problem if, uh, you know, I oftentimes say, if I lost a few pounds, if I had a little bit more money and drove a nicer car, then I'd be happy. But the truth is, it just goes as quick as it comes. And so I hope there's something more. And we found in the pages of Scripture that there is. And it's this thing called joy. Joy is actually something that's sustainable. It's something that you can count on. It's something that you can do. We've actually been defining it this way. I'll put it on the screen for you. That happiness is actually dependent on what happens to me. I mean, how many of you know that's true? Happiness is dependent on what happens to you, but joy is different. Joy is dependent on what is actually in you. And I love the difference because one is, you know, circumstantial. One kind of is dictated by the, the things around you. And one is, it's on you. It's between you and God. And, and I hope that throughout this series, if you've been here the whole time, that you'd go, hey, I got to pursue this thing called joy in my life. I got to develop this thing. I don't want to be somebody who's just on this ever long chase of getting the next thrill of happiness in my life. Last week, we actually dove into a little bit of a serious topic. It was the topic of having joy in the midst of suffering or joy in the midst of your struggle. And it was kind of a deep message, and if you missed last week, I'd encourage you to dial in online. You can check and get caught up. But this week, it's a little bit different. We're going to talk about the joy of being selfless. Selfless. The joy of being selfless. Uh, if I can be really honest with you, I don't naturally lean towards selflessness in my life. I have a lean that's much, easier, much more easily bent towards selfishness. I'm not sure if you're like me in the room or not, but just this last Monday, it was a beautiful day before the monsoon hit for the better part of the week. And, uh, and I had been waiting to grill out some, some steaks. Uh, actually, one of our friends tipped us off this last fall to getting a quarter of a cow, which was a major mistake for us. We should have got like a whole Bessie, you know, for my family. But we, you know, we're rookies at this. But uh, we went and we got a quarter cow from a meat locker, you know, just a few miles away. And it was, a, it was an incredible experience. I mean, we loaded up his minivan on a Saturday morning with you know, baskets and totes. We drove up to the meat locker, which is like heaven for men. I just never, you know, I'd never really been in one. But there's like T-bones and like all these ribeyes and all these steaks. And you're just like, oh, are you kidding me? I could be here all day. And so anyways, we loaded up our, 
our baskets, brought it home. I filled up my freezer, my deep freezer, with, you know, roasts and, and hamburger and, and steaks and just some fun meat like that. And throughout the winter, you know, throughout the last few months, we've, eaten, we've been eating, like, our hamburger and our roast. We've been cooking up those in the crock pots. But finally it got nice out. I mean, finally we're seeing this 80-degree weather. And so I thought to myself, you know, it's a great Monday afternoon. I was like, let's fire up this grill, you know, and I'll throw on some ribeyes, some, some good steaks, you know. So I quickly just, you know, I'm a total rookie at this. So I Google searched, how do you not screw up a steak? <laughs> Found out it's not that hard, you know, put it on for five minutes, flip it, do six, or, you know, you might have your own secret sauce to that. But I, I fire up the grill, do that. I realize that these are kind of expensive steaks. You know, I spent some money on these things. So Carrie goes, what do you want to feed the girls? I'm like, hot dogs, grab them hot dogs. <laughs> We throw hot dogs on the grill, and I'm firing this thing up, feeling like a king. I mean, I feel like an absolute king in my backyard. And I, and I, I flip them over. We have it. Take it inside. The girls have their hot dogs. I ch- you know, cut them up, and I even cut them up nicely. Cut them up nicely. Dive into our steak, and it's perfect. I mean, it's like totally perfect. And I take the first bite, and I'm literally thinking, I'm the grill master. All, this, all the guys do. They, I'm just like, I'm the best. Take a couple more bites, and Micah, my five-year-old, you guessed it, she looks over and goes, Dad, can I have a bite? And I go, no. <laughs> and I told you I'm a little selfish. I don't have the lean towards something. I said, heavens no. She's like, why not? And I go, because, I'm thinking, like, I, because they're chewy. You know, I'm like, I'm like, you can eat hot dogs easier. I see Carrie giving me the eye. Out of, like, I didn't even have to look over that way. I was like, don't look at me like that. I'm like, fine, you can have a bite of my ribeye, you know? So I take her a sliver, hand her a piece, you know, praying, like, God, please let her just spit it out and say, I hate this. She takes a bite and loves it. Of course she does. She has great taste. What does she ask next? Dad, can I have another bite? And I'm like, oh, dang. So a steak and a half later, that five-year-old daughter ate all my steak. But in return, she offered me her hot dog. You know, totally courtesy move. Hot dog. I've learned as a dad, you better like crust, you better like crumbs, and you better like hot dogs. You know, it's just like... We have it rough as men. You know, happy Mother's Day to you, but it's hard being a dad too, right? <laughs> happy Mother's Day. I, I tell you, my natural lean, I tell you all that, my natural lean is not towards selflessness. It just never has been. I have a lean towards being selfish every single time. Everybody, even the pastors on staff here. I mean, you might think we, you know, like poop Skittles and stuff, but we, I mean, we are just selfish people. Nobody volunteers for the hump in the backseat on road trips. Nobody does. I mean, it is like a constant fight. Who's got shotgun? It's just annoying. But it, none of us have a natural lean towards being selfless. And I just have a hunch that you're in the room and you know what it's like. That your natural lean in life is towards being selfish. But I'm telling you what, there's a, there's a little sliver of scripture in this book called Philippians where Paul dives right into my issues. And if you're in the room and you wrestle with the selfishness stuff too, he dives right into your issues too. And he just goes right at the heart of this stuff called selfishness. Check this out on the side screens. I'll read it out for you. He says this in chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. He says, don't be selfish. I'm like, oh man, seriously, don't be selfish. Then he goes on to say this. Don't try and impress others. He says, be humble, thinking of others better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. And then to put icing on the cake, he goes, you must have the same attitude that Jesus had. And I go, give me a break. I struggle handing over a ribeye. You know, like this is going to be tough stuff. This little chunk of scripture has convicted me for the last 
you know, month as I've been looking forward to this Sunday. Because I just, I just naturally have this lean towards selfishness. And he starts off this chunk by saying, don't be selfish. So don't have selfishness in your life. Why? Because selfishness kills joy. When you consume and it's all about you, it's one of the, the killers, the depleters of joy in your life. And so Paul says, don't be selfish. And he would encourage all of us. If you're taking notes, you can jot down this just little dinky little chart that I'm going to jot down. He'd say there's a move that you got to make. It's a move from, and I'll put this word self. It's a move from ish to less. He would say, hey, if you want to have joy in your life, why don't you try moving from being selfish to selfless? It's a great move. Actually, for moms in the room, you're some of the most selfless people I know. I mean, my wife just texted me early this morning going, I'm not going to make it to church today. One of our kids is barfing all over the place. And I go, sorry, you know, I'm here. You know, it's like, good luck. But she's selfless. You kind of have to be if you're a mom. If you're going to make it as a mom, you got to be. But still there's this constant pull in all of us to come over to this side of the chart and to fight against this selfish desire all the time. But Paul would start off by talking to each and every one of us. If you want to have joy in your life, fight hard to get over here, to get this area of selflessness. Now you might be wondering in the room, well, how do I know if I'm selfish? I mean, that's you, Tony, but it's not me. Don't peg me in with you and your, your staff, you know. Well, it's just, you know, in case that's you. I got seven indicators of a selfish person, all right? So I'm going to kind of clear the deck on all of you. But seven indicators, and then what we're going to do after that is I'm going to share kind of two ways to get the ball moving this way, okay? So I'm going to share seven indicators and then two kind of two thoughts on how to move the, the dial over the other way. Seven indicators. I'll put it on the screen for you. The first indicator that you might be selfish, you might have a selfish problem is, is this, your confidence is unstable. I don't know how many of you wrestle with that, but your confidence is unstable. It's rocky. And it's unstable because you're so focused on you and what others think of you that it's, it depends on what people are thinking of you today. If they like your post on Facebook, if they don't, you're just unstable in your confidence and it rocks you. The, the second thing is this, failure for you is terrifying. Failure is terrifying. It shows that you're a little selfish. I mean, people who are selfish, they are so anxious about failing. They don't want to let anybody know that there's any hint of weakness in their life, and so they take small risks, and they're not really sure they want to step out in faith. They're just kind of nervous about this. Another indicator is that you think you're a big deal. This goes right in the face of most of us guys in the room who maybe wrestle with arrogance and pride. I mean, for a long time, maybe even now, it's still been a little bit of my kind of, it gets me. You think you're a big deal. Number four is you use people to get ahead. Selfish people do this all the time. They take advantage of others to make themselves look better, sound better, feel better. It's just, they use other people. Number five is you're quick to take the credit. Selfish people like to be known. They, they like to have the credit and to make sure that they get what they deserve and make sure I get the award and make sure I get puffed up. And six is you, can, you compare yourselves to others. You have a comparison problem. If I can, it's not in notes right here, but I think there's, I think there's three, three words that really kind of let you know if comparison is your thing. 
is if you're constantly saying more, when you, when you hang out with somebody, you come back, and I want more for me, or, or I want better, or I want different. I think those are if those are on your tongue a lot, hey, I want more for me, I want, I want something better, I want something different, I just go, comparison's eating you up. And just, here's the last one. You struggle with insecurity. You struggle with insecurity. I'm going to leave the screen like this because I want to share with you what the flip would look like. I mean, if you made the move from selfish to selfless, if you, if you kind of said, those seven things, I'm Hey, self-admitted, I'm, I'm half of them at best. Maybe all of them count on a bad day. I'm double that. I want to move. What does the other side look like? I just I wrote down kind of the flip side of these things. I'll put it on the screen for you too. The, the shift from selfish to selfless looks like this. Instead of your confidence is unstable, your confidence is securely found in Jesus. That's a beautiful thing. Instead of failure is terrifying, failure for you is just an opportunity for grace and growth. It's an opportunity for you to show people that I'm not perfect, but I have a God who is and loves me anyways. Number three is you think you're a big deal. It's a switch to this. You know that God's a big deal. You know that God's a huge deal and he deserves all the credit. Number four is you use people to get ahead. That's what selfish people do. To You value people as they go. Number five is you are quick to take credit. And if you were to switch that, it would say that you realize how much God and other people around you deserve the credit, excuse me. Number six is you have a comparison problem. And the flip side of this is you celebrate what God is doing in other people's lives. Isn't that great? When you make a move from selfish to selfless, you no longer worry so much about you. You go, hey, I want to celebrate what other people are doing. It's this beautiful confidence about yourself that moves you forward. And then the seventh thing, was this, you struggle with insecurity too. Your security comes from God's love and, and your, God's love for you. But how do you move? I think if I were to, to have done that a little bit more eloquently, we could have really moved with this thing on, on nobody wants to be on the side of selfish. Nobody does. I mean, those things are ugly. And when you start to find those things a part of yourself, you go, oh man, that's not... That's not the way God wired me to be. That's not the best version of myself. I gotta make this move to the other side. I gotta move towards being selfless. Well, how in the world do you do it? Paul said, don't be selfish, but he didn't leave us hanging. I wanna put that verse back up on the screen, that little chunk of scripture that we started off with this morning. He says this in Philippians chapter two again, verses three and four. He says, don't be selfish, but then catch how he explains how to move from the, the ish to the less. He says this. He says, don't try and impress others. Catch that. Don't try and impress others. Don't be selfish, but don't try and impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. I mean, that's huge. And then I think the second thing is in this next chunk. He says, but don't look out for your own interests. Take an interest in others too. I think there's two kind of words in there that I want to teach on for the remainder of our time this morning that, that we can capitalize on. The first one, if you want to write this down underneath this, is confidence. Confidence, to me, helps us move this way. You can see in the scripture it says, don't try and impress others. In my opinion, Paul is saying, be confident. Be confident in who God made you to be. If I could share a message 
teaching every woman, I'm going to hopefully have a few today, would be be confident in who God created you to be. God created you to be incredible. God created you just the way you are, and he loves you just the way you are. And when you have a confidence about yourself, being confident in who you are in Jesus, that moves you from the ish to the less, and that's a beautiful thing. You start to experience joy when your confidence is found in Jesus. I love the fact that your confidence doesn't have to be rooted in your Facebook followers. It doesn't have to be rooted in your in your business or in you being a stay-at-home mom or a working mom. I mean, the pressure that you have today is just enormous. The pressure that's among you to sell the right thing, to you know, wear the right clothes, to do the right involvements with your kids, to, man, to parent the right way. I just go, it's too much to bear. And if your confidence is in what others think of you, you'll get crushed every time. But Jesus would say, you can have confidence in me. You can have confidence in what God thinks of you. And you might be in the room and you go, well, what in the world does God think of me? Where would my confidence lie? I mean, could I have confidence with Jesus? And I'll just put a couple on the screen for you. When you have Jesus in your life, you can be confident because you are chosen. You're chosen. You're already picked. You've made the team. When you're in Christ, you can be chosen because you're a new creation. You're new. You're beautiful the way you are. When you're in Christ, you can be confident because you're forgiven. Ladies in the room, men too, the confidence that you can have knowing that you are forgiven from your past. When you have Christ, you're forgiven for your present and your future too, but the mere fact that you are forgiven breeds so much confidence because you don't have to hang your head low. You can walk high knowing that you have a God who looks at you and goes, you're forgiven. When you have Christ, you can be confident because you're blessed. Another one is victorious. Then one of my favorite verses in all the scriptures in Psalm 139, it says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Do you know you can be confident in that? That your body, the way God made you, he didn't screw up. You're beautifully and wonderfully made. As your heavenly father knit you together in your mom's womb. I just tell you, I love that verse. The next one is you're set free, you're complete, and you're loved. And I know I just raced through all those complete and loved. Those are the words that I find in the scripture that just fuel my confidence, and I hope they fuel yours too. A quick Google search on this this last week. I just typed in kind of confidence in women, and a video kind of came up. A video, 72 million views on this video. It's a video by Colby Calais, I think is her last name, and it's a video called Try. And I watched it, and I was in tears thinking about my own daughters, and I want to just play it for you right now. Check this video out. It's about the confidence. Put your makeup on, get your nails done, curl your hair, run the extra mile, keep it slim so they like you, so they like you. Get your sexy on, don't be shy girl, take it off, this is what you want to belong, so they like you, do you like you? You don't have to try so hard. 
Shopping on at the mall, next to credit cards. You don't have to choose, buy it all. So they like you. Do they like you? Wait a second, why should you care what they think of you when you're all alone by yourself? Do you like you? Do you like you? So Monday, after we grill the steaks, uh, our girls were outside playing again, and we had gotten ready for, you know, it was getting dark, so we bring them inside to do baths and get ready for bed, and, and this song's still playing in my brain. And around our house, the routine is Carrie, she'll wash them and lotion them, and I'll get out the PJs and I'll comb the hair, which combing their hair, man, I used to hate that so much. <laughs> it's so ratty and all this stuff. But anyways, I've started to actually like it. And uh, it was, you know, 10 minutes sitting down with my daughter, Micah, and Kara, and I'm combing their hair, and they're kind of stuck there <laughs> until I'm done. And, and, and actually, recently, Micah got a, a, her own brush. And so she's, she's kind of been doing it her own, and then she'll have me test it to make sure it's done right. And, and anyways, that Monday night, she was doing that in her own room, and she was in front of her own mirror. And it might choke me up. Because she was just staring at herself in her mirror. And she's combing her hair and working her way through, just glued to herself. And, uh, and at some point, she, she stops, and I'm holding the, the hair dryer, and she goes, Dad, you know, 
test it, you know, and so I go, and I always try and make a big deal out of it, kind of a dork, and I'm like, oh, man, so good, and I start slicking it back the way that I do it, and she says, Dad, don't do it like that anymore, and I go, why? She says, I don't look pretty when you do it like that, and I go, what? And she goes, and she grabs it, and she pulls it back and starts covering over her ears and she goes, I don't look pretty when you do it like that. Now, it was getting late so I didn't want to go into it with, with Micah, but I just remember my heart sinking. I'd watched that video earlier today and I'm like, what in the world's happening? She's five. She's five. We tuck her into bed. We kind of do our rhythm. I pray for her, start singing over and before she falls asleep, I just get on her bed and I just kind of grab her behind the ears and I go, honey, you got to know before you fall asleep that your daddy thinks you're the most beautiful girl in the whole world. It doesn't matter if you have hair, if you don't have hair. It doesn't matter if it's tucked behind your ears or if it's covering your ears. You don't have to try because your dad already loves you. And I already think you're beautiful. And I wonder if some of you in the room needed to hear that. That there's this constant fight to work harder on yourself and to, to figure it out on your own and to make yourself feel valued. And, and I wonder if the Heavenly Father is leaning down going, hey, would you lean in, ladies? Would you lean in, guys? And go, stop trying so hard. Your Heavenly Father loves you just the way you are. When you get your confidence figured out, and when it's rooted in what God thinks of you, not what others think of you, you start to move from ish to less, the second word is compassionate. Compassionate. It moves you this way. You find in the Bible a couple different stories. I mean, they're all throughout the New Testament of Jesus really just putting on a clinic of this thing of compassion and him being compassionate towards other, other people. He calls a guy named Matthew. And Matthew's story is Matthew's this, this just this, this tax collector. He's known around his kind of area, his community, as somebody who's a cheater, a thief. You know, he just kind of takes more than what he actually deserves. And, and Jesus calls this guy to follow after him, specifically calls him out. Matthew does. He, he responds to Jesus. He, he actually takes Jesus home to his house to a little afternoon party that he has and some of the religious leaders are there and they're watching Jesus interact with these people who aren't so pretty. And they literally say this to a group of Jesus' friends. They say, why does your teacher eat with such scum? The reason why Jesus hung around people that were known as scum, less than, was because he was compassionate. It's who he was. Jesus actually responds to them. He says this, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Healthy people don't. A couple verses later, you actually find in verse 20 through 22 that Jesus is on his way to healing another person when he interacts with this woman who has been cast out, put to the side. She had been bleeding for many, many years. It says this in the scripture that just then a woman who had suffered for 12 years with a constant bleeding came up behind him. She touched the fringe of his robe, for she thought, if I can just touch his robe, she thought, if I can just get near Jesus, I'll be healed. She was 
known in her place as the one who had been shoved out, pushed aside. And then Jesus says this. He turns around and catch this. When he saw her, love this, he said, daughter, be encouraged. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was healed that moment. There's two final things I want to let you know today before we sing the final song. Jesus, in his compassion, sees you right where you are. And when you know that Jesus sees you where you are and still loves you, it moves you. You go, I don't have to worry about getting myself to the right spot. Jesus sees me in my hurting spot. And I just want to let somebody know. If you're trying to fix yourself before you show up and before you feel like I can come to Jesus because I, I'm, not, you know, I'm not good enough yet, and well, Jesus sees you right where you are. You don't have to s- stop that. Get rid of the ego side and just come. And the second thing that he does to this woman is he calls her daughter. Again, fact about this, this woman in the scripture is she would have been shoved out of her community. She had a disease. She would have been put out. She had been bleeding for years. People would have said, no, no, don't come in here. You're not allowed here. So naturally, it would have been, you know, assumed that Jesus would have said, get away from me. You don't belong. But Jesus doesn't do that. It's not in him. He takes the very people that are shoved out, and he brings them in. And how do you know he brings her in? He calls her daughter. There's nobody closer than a son or a daughter. And I wonder if you're here in the room and you've been struggling on this side because your confidence hasn't been in the right place. Because you haven't yet experienced the compassion and the compassionate God of the universe in Jesus saying, I see you. Come on close. I call you son and I call you daughter. And when we experience God like that, I'm telling you what, it moves us to a spot where we know who we are in him. I want to pray for you, and then we're going to sing a song that I hope speaks to some of us in the room. God, thanks so much for what you're doing in this room today. God, I ask that in these next few moments that you would show up, that you do something special. God, for those of us who've been wearing a name that's not true about ourselves for far too long, would you give us a new name in this next song? For those of us who have been burdened by our past, would you, would you speak to us and tell us who you've created us to be? God, thanks for loving us. We pray this in your name. Amen.